My third extract returns to Ash and to Joan Valentine, whom we met earlier anonymously as the girl with the blue eyes who had laughed at his Larson exercises. The plot, naturally, has thickened since that innocent early encounter. They have travelled down to Blandings together in the train, but they're not simple weekend guests. Oh, no. Joan has been engaged as lady's maid to Aileen Peters, who is due to marry Lord Emsworth, harebrained son Freddie Threpwood, as we overheard just now Lord Emsworth confiding to Adams. Uh, to Joan's dismay, Ash tells her that he has been hired by Aileen's father. He is posing as his valet, but the real purpose of his visit is to discover who has stolen Mr. Peter's precious scarab. Joan and Ash have been collected from the station at Market Blandings, and it is with some trepidation that they arrive at the castle. Ash descended painfully and beat his feet against the cobbles. He helped Joan to climb down. Joan was apparently in a gentle glow. Women seem impervious to cold. The door opened. Warm, kitcheny scents came through it. Strong men hurried out to take down the trunks, while fair women in the shape of two nervous scullery maids approached Joan and Ash and bobbed curtsies. This, under more normal conditions, would have been enough to unman Ash, but in his frozen state a mere curtsying scullery maid expended herself harmlessly upon him. He even acknowledged the greeting with a kindly nod. The scullery maids, it seemed, were acting in much the same capacity as the attaches of royalty. One was there to conduct Joan to the presence of Mrs. Tremlow, the housekeeper, the other to lead Ash to where Beach, the butler, waited to do honour to the valet of the castle's most important guest. After a short walk down a stone-flagged passage, Joan and her escort turned to the right. Ash's objective appeared to be located to the left. He parted from Joan with regret. Her moral support would have been welcome. Presently, his scullery maid stopped at a door and tapped thereon. A fruity voice, like old tawny port, made audible, said, Come in. Ash's guide opened the door. The gentleman, Mr. Beach, said she, and scuttled away to the less rarefied atmosphere of the kitchen. Ash's first impression of Beach the butler was one of tension. Other people, confronted for the first time with Beach, had felt the same. He had that strained air of being on the very point of bursting, which one sees in frogs and toy balloons. Nervous and imaginative men meeting Beach braced themselves involuntarily, stiffening their muscles for the explosion. Those who had the pleasure of more intimate acquaintance with him soon passed this stage 
just as people whose homes are on the slopes of Mount Vesuvius become immune to fear of eruptions. As far back as they could remember, Beach had always looked as if an apoplectic fit were a matter of minutes. But he never had apoplexy, and it, in time they came to ignore the possibility of it. Ash, however, approaching him with a fresh eye, had the feeling that this strain could not possibly continue, and that within a very short space of time the worst must happen. The prospect of this did much to arouse him from the coma into which he had been frozen by the rigours of the journey. Butlers, as a class, seemed to grow less and less like anything human in proportion to the magnificence of their surroundings. There is a type of butler employed in the comparatively modest homes of small country gentlemen who is practically a man and a brother who hobnob with the local tradesmen, sing a good comic song at the village inn, and in times of crisis will even turn to and work the pump when the water supply suddenly fails. The greater the house, the more does the butler diverge from this type. Blanding's castle was one of the more important of England's showplaces, and Beach, accordingly, had acquired a dignified inertia which almost qualified him for inclusion in the vegetable kingdom. He moved when he moved at all, slowly. He distilled speech with the air of one measuring out drops of some precious drug. His heavy-lidded eyes had the fixed expression of a statue's. With an almost imperceptible wave of a fat white hand, he conveyed to Ash that he desired him to sit down. With a stately movement of his other hand, he picked up a kettle which simmered on the hob. With an inclination of his head, he called Ash's attention to a decanter on the table. In another moment, Ash was sipping a whiskey toddy with the feeling that he had been privileged to assist at some mystic rite. Mr. Beach, posting himself before the fire and placing his hands behind his back, permitted speech to drip from him. I have not the advantage of your name, Mr. Ash introduced himself. Beach acknowledged the information with a half bow. You must have had a cold ride, Mr. Marson. The wind is in the east. Ash said yes, the ride had been cold. When the wind is in the east, continued Mr. Beach, letting each syllable escape with apparent reluctance, I suffer from my feet. I beg your pardon. I suffer from my feet, repeated the butler, measuring out the drops. You are a young man, Mr. Marson. Probably you do not know what it is to suffer from your feet. He surveyed Ash, his whiskey toddy, 
and the wall beyond him with heavy-lidded inscrutability. Corns, he said. Ash said that he was sorry. I suffer extremely from my feet. Not only corns, I have but recently recovered from an ingrowing toenail. I suffered greatly from my ingrowing toenail. I suffer from swollen joints. Ash regarded this martyr with increasing disfavour. It is the flaw in the character of many excessively young and healthy men that, while kind-hearted enough in most respects, they listen with a regrettable feeling of impatience to the confessions of those less happily situated as regards the ills of the flesh. Rightly or wrongly, they hold that these statements should be reserved for the ear of the medical profession and other and more general topics selected for conversation with laymen. I am sorry, he said hastily. You must have had a bad time. Is there a large house party here just now? We are expecting, said Mr. Beach, a number of guests. We shall in all probability sit down thirty or more to dinner. A responsibility for you, said Ash, ingratiatingly, well pleased to be quit of the feet topic. Mr. Beach nodded. You are right, Mr. Marson. Few persons realise the responsibilities of a man in my position. Sometimes, I can assure you, it preys upon my mind, and I suffer from nervous headaches. Ash began to feel like a man trying to put out a fire, which, as fast as he checks it at one point, breaks out at another. Sometimes, when I come off duty, everything gets blurred. The outlines of objects grow misty. I have to sit down in a chair. The pain is excruciating. But it helps you to forget the pain in your feet. Oh, no, no. I suffer from my feet simultaneously. Ash gave up the struggle. Tell me all about your feet, he said. Mr. Beach told him all about his feet. The pleasantest functions must come to an end, and the moment arrived when the final word on the subject of swollen joints was spoken. Ash, who had resigned himself to a permanent contemplation of the subject, could hardly believe that he heard correctly when at the end of some ten minutes, his companion changed the conversation. You have been with Mr. Peters some time, Mr. Marson. Huh? Oh, oh, no, only since last Wednesday. Indeed. Might I inquire whom you assisted before that? For a moment, Ash did what he would not have believed himself capable of doing, regretted that the topic of feet was no longer under discussion. The question placed him in an awkward position. 
If he lied and credited himself with a lengthy experience as a valet, he risked exposing himself. If he told the truth and confessed that this was his maiden effort in the capacity of gentleman's gentleman, what would the butler think? There were objections to each cause, but to tell the truth was the easiest of the two. So he told it. Your first situation, said Mr. Beach. Indeed. I was uh, uh, doing something else before I met Mr. Peters, said Ash. Mr. Beach was too well-bred to be inquisitive, but his eyebrows were not. Ah, he said. Mm, cried his eyebrows. Mm, mm, mm. Ash ignored the eyebrows. Something different, he said. There was an awkward silence. Ash appreciated its awkwardness. He was conscious of a grievance against Mr. Peters. Why could not Mr. Peters have brought him down here as his secretary? To be sure, he had advanced some objection to that course in their conversation at the offices of Mainprice, Mainprice and Bull, but merely some silly, far-fetched objection. He wished that he had had the sense to fight the point while there was time. But at the moment when they were arranging plans, he had been rather tickled by the thought of becoming a valet. The notion had a pleasing musical comedy touch about it. Why had he not foreseen the complications which must ensue? He could tell by the look on his face that this confounded butler was waiting for him to give a full explanation. What would he think if he withheld it? He would probably suppose that Ash had been in prison. Well, there was nothing to be done about it. If Beach was suspicious, he must remain suspicious. Fortunately, the suspicions of a butler do not matter much. Mr. Beach's eyebrows were still mutely urging him to reveal all. But Ash directed his gaze at that portion of the room which Mr. Beach did not fill. He was hanged if he was going to let himself be hypnotized by a pair of eyebrows into incriminating himself. He glared stolidly at the pattern of the wallpaper, which represented a number of birds of an unknown species seated on a corresponding number of exotic shrubs. The silence was growing oppressive. Somebody had to break it soon. And as Mr. Beach was still confining himself to the language of the eyebrow and apparently intended to fight it out on these lines if it took all summer, Ash broke it himself. It seemed to him, as he reconstructed the scene in bed that night, that Providence must have suggested the subject of Mr. Peters's indigestion. For the mere mention of his employer's sufferings acted like magic on the butler. I might have had better luck while I was looking for a place, said Ash. I dare say you know how bad-tempered Mr. Peters is. He's dyspeptic. So responded Mr. Beach. I have been informed. He brooded for a space. I too, he proceeded, suffer from my stomach.
I have a weak stomach. The lining of my stomach is not what I could wish the lining of my stomach to be. Tell me, said Ash gratefully, all about the lining of your stomach.